Hey everybody, it's Ian Reed Twist again from Holy Cross Episcopal Church in Novi, Michigan. This sermon was preached on Sunday, January 12th, 2020 by the most excellent Jenny Dara, a uh, member of our congregation. I don't think it has a title, but the passage it's based on is Acts 10, verses 34 to 43. There's a saying usually attributed to the 19th century German philosopher Arthur Schopenhauer, all truth passes through three stages. First, it is ridiculed. Second, it is violently opposed. Third, it is accepted as being self-evident. I think we can see evidence of this in pretty much every field, right? Of course the continents on Earth were once one big landmass that moved apart because of continental drift. Everyone knows that. Of course medical workers should wash their hands and wear gloves when they see patients. Everyone knows that. Of course the planets go around the sun. Everyone knows that. Well, we didn't always know these things, and the people who first proposed the ideas had to put up with some pretty extreme opposition, even when they had pretty good solid evidence backing them up. Alfred Wegner was roundly mocked for suggesting that the world had once fit together like a jigsaw puzzle. Poor Ignaz Semmelweis despaired so badly over not being able to get obstetricians to wash their hands that he had a nervous breakdown and died in an asylum. And we've all heard the stories about the church threatening astronomers over solar-centric models of the planets. So it's difficult enough to challenge the accepted truth of the day in heart sciences with physical evidence. When you start trying to change things up in a so-called softer field, psychology, sociology, or theology, it gets even harder. Calvary Presbyterian Church was a white church in a poor neighborhood in Cleveland. It had been a very wealthy neighborhood back in the day, but the area had fallen on hard times and it was pretty run down. Black families who had moved from the South to the Cleveland area to work in factories during World War II were being displaced by new construction in the areas they had originally settled. The neighborhood around Calvary was one of the few areas where white landlords would rent to them and white landowners would sell to them, since white families tended to not want to move in. Calvary kept on serving the white residents of the neighborhood, but in 1953 the pastor, Dr. John Bruer, noted that a certain black woman had begun attending their services regularly. Now, Cleveland did not have the strict Jim Crow laws of the South, but segregation was an unofficial reality just the same. So this was something different, something new. A black woman, also a Christian, also a child of God, had taken a very brave step into a space that could have been very dangerous for her. In the face of that courage, it began to occur to Dr. Bruer and the congregation that maybe, maybe, they might want to take an official stand against segregation. Now that took a lot of discussion, a lot of discussion. There were centuries of prejudice and decades of tradition in play here, 
Not to mention all the Bible passages that have been used to justify racism. The mark of Cain, the curse of Ham, the fact that nowhere in the Gospels does Jesus say that owning slaves is bad, the fact that Paul sent an escaped slave straight back to his owner with nothing more than an admonition to, okay, be nice to him from now on. But in the end, Calvary made their decision. Calvary Presbyterian would officially stand in favor of racial integration. They took the risk of believing that God was bigger than they had previously known. Now, the lectionary does not do us any favors today by dropping us right into the middle of this story in Acts. But Peter is right in the middle of a similar situation. He has a decision to make about how big he will perceive God to be. Peter is making this speech about understanding that God shows no partiality in the home of Cornelius, who is not just any Gentile, but a Roman officer. Peter is displaying some rebellion against the Jewish purity laws just by being in the house of a Gentile, but God had told him to go. This happened right after Peter received his confusing vision of God telling him to kill and eat unclean animals. What God has made clean, you must not call profane. Cornelius received a vision of an angel telling him to send for Peter. When Peter got his invitation, he began to realize maybe that vision was not about food, but about people, about Jews and Gentiles together. So Peter decided, sure, I guess I'll preach the good news to this group, no big deal. But God decided it was going to be a very big deal indeed. Before Peter was even done speaking, the Holy Spirit dropped by for a visit, and she poured herself out on all the Gentiles who were listening, and they started to speak in tongues and praise God. I'm going to take a guess that Peter had not expected this. This was different. This was something new. Their Holy Spirit baptizing Gentiles with fire and tongues? Gentiles who hadn't even converted to Judaism first? So Peter has to make a choice. Will he accept that God has just offered salvation to Gentiles and recognize them as fellow followers of Jesus? Again, he's working against centuries of prejudice. But Peter takes that risk of believing that God is bigger than he had imagined. He baptizes the Gentiles with water and greets them as brothers in Christ. The results of that one day in Caesarea were staggering. In the short term, Peter had to answer to the other leaders of the church in Jerusalem, which may have involved some chastising and scolding. Simon Peter, what exactly do you think you are doing? But after he told them the story of God's grace being delivered directly to the Gentiles, they rejoiced. God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. In the long term, we know that this expansion of Peter's perception of God changed the world forever. The church opened to Gentiles, and we had a few decades of relative harmony between Jewish and Gentile converts. That changed, of course. I'd be neglecting the truth if I tried to pretend it didn't. The followers of Jesus became overwhelmingly Gentile, 
and resentment grew between the church and the synagogue, and the church, to its undying shame, let resentment turn into centuries of persecution and cruelty towards the followers of the Jewish faith. Their perception of God became too small, too human. But we can't lay the blame for that on Peter and Cornelius and their glorious, spirit-filled experience of brotherhood. Things changed at Calvary Presbyterian when they took their risk as well. Some members left the church, of course. This always happens when social change comes along. But others began to leave the building. Church members went out into the neighborhood to find out what their neighbors needed. They joined initiatives to, to feed the hungry and serve the needy and help clean things up all around. As a result of the way they became a true part of that neighborhood community, their membership increased with both black and white members. By 1967, they were considered a premium example of an integrated church. They call themselves New Life at Calvary now, but they're still at the same location and still reaching out into that neighborhood to help anyone who needs it. Their decision to take the risk of believing God is bigger than they had imagined, along with other people taking that risk throughout the country at the same time, that also changed the world forever. There's obviously still a lot of work to do on welcoming and affirming the stranger, the other. Racism hasn't gone away, and we have homophobia, transphobia, sexism, classism, and any other number of nasty, internalized beliefs we need to root out of our churches and out of ourselves. But every time we gain a new understanding of humanity and the world, we come to realize that God is bigger than we had known. God already encompassed love of the world the way it is. We just hadn't been able to imagine that part of it before. The word the New Revised Standard Translation uses for Peter to say that he understands that God shows no partiality, that has a little bit of a translation error, a verb tense error. It isn't understanding as a noun. It isn't something Peter has already acquired or accomplished. It's understanding as a verb. It's understanding as in, I am coming to understand this. I am gaining understanding of this. I am learning. We keep learning and keep discovering new things, and we keep stretching our conception of God, but God will always, always be bigger than any God our imaginations can perceive. And that is a blessing of love that no human limitation will ever be able to destroy. Amen. Okay, everybody. Well, thanks for listening to this week's sermon. And if you want more information about me or the church, you can always go to our website, holycrossnovi, that's N-O-V-I dot org. And in the meantime, have a blessed week, and you can find more sermons as we publish them in the same place you found this one. Take care. <laughs>